All right. Welcome to church. And I, I'm excited to share on kingdom culture. And if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you know that we are looking at 10 qualities of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be a person living in the kingdom of God. And we've been looking at a few of them. And today we get to look at a unique one today. And it's typically our Young Communicators Weekend, our hometown. We call it hearing from the hometown, meaning all of the people in in the locations, the staff members get to share. But again, you'll hear from Matt eventually later on this year, but I get to share today. Um, So if I get to be the young communicator with my gray beard, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? You can call me that as much as you want. So Alan is cool, young, and hip. Right, Heidi? That's how I feel. So grateful for letting me share today. Um, and I want to share a little bit because, you know, I, when, for the, some of you guys might not, I just want to give a little backstory to myself, is um, I, when I, I've been a pastor at River Valley since 2003, um, is when I first came to River Valley and was grateful to do the youth and it was awesome. And now I get to campus pastor in Woodbury, like, which I like to say is the greatest location out of all the locations. Yes. Thank you. Um, and so we have a little, we have a campus pastor table. We all sit at and we all get to brag on our, on our locations. And of course I'm a big bragger. So, um, you have a lot to live up to. So it's no, you know, it's fine. And, uh, we ended up, um, and so anyways, I've been, ended up being here since 2003, which has been exciting, but um, my, going back to where I came from, my father was a construction worker. Sometimes you'll see him walking through when he comes to stay with us. My mom was a florist, and um, my dad didn't graduate college. He's got like a, he's got a ninth grade education, and so he went to Vietnam. After Vietnam, he came back and started building silos in the farmlands um, and ended up doing that, and so, uh, but he worked hard. My dad's a hard worker, made a great um, took care of us very well. We owned 40 acres of land near the St. Cloud area. And we ended up, um, he built the house basically with his family and his bare hands. So we have this uh, really wonderful um, estate out, on, out west of Minnesota, which is really fun. We get to go back to, which of course is, um, which of course the four wheelers are always running and the golf carts are running and uh, we always, and the boats are running. So we have a lot of opportunity to hang out in the outdoors, which is awesome. Um, but I, I realized that I thought I noticed something is like, I want to, there's something in me that wants to do something great. And while I looked at my father and my father did something great with his life of building a home and, and, um, and, and being a hard worker and, you know, going to defending our country as a Vietnam war vet and all these other things. Um, I remember thinking like, Oh, am I going to, what's, what's, what's my footsteps going to be? Um, what's, what's, what am I going to do? That's great. Um, in all this. And so then I realized that, you know what, uh, there's, uh, my path took me to where I graduated high school. Um, I went to St. Cloud University, um, got a business degree in PR and advertising and graduated from there. Um, and I began to really look at myself and think, all right, I think I'm going to, I really wanted to go in and be a business professional, go on and, and go in and make a lot of money. That was my big, my big focus at the time. And, uh, and a lot of you probably don't know this, but, or is that I wasn't a Christian when I was in when, uh, all through high school and most of my college career, I became a Christian my senior year of college. And that's when I found God that my senior year, and it was from there then that after I graduated college there, I went to Bible school, uh, Bible college, North Central Bible college, and just began to discover, hey, you know what? I really love education. This is what I want to do. I want to do something great with my life. Um, my jobs that I worked at, I bagged groceries. Um, 
when I was in high school. Um, then from there, I worked at a meat market. And you know when they say, uh, you see how the sausage is made? I literally saw how the sausage was made. So that was really interesting. And then um, from there, uh, when I was in college, I sold suits at a suit store and shoes at a shoe store. And then I became um, a waiter. And that was one of the biggest things I've realized that uh, I've, when I was a server, that was one of the big things that I began to really realize. Like, oh, I love serving waiting tables. That was really fun. And that's what really got me through college and helped me to be able to get the cash I needed. I paid through college um, on my own, took out loans, of course, paid the loans back, but also did my best to, to work extra. And, uh, and it was really a fun time. But it began to just it was me pursuing my dream. It was me pursuing what am I supposed to do with my life? It was me trying to discover what does greatness look like? What does it mean for what does it mean for Alan to be what does greatness look like for me and my family and my life? And everyone's you've all kind of got your picture of what greatness looks like. You've all got your picture of what greatness can be perceived as and 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 where you've came from and what you've chosen to do and how you're pursuing that in the jobs you've done and the things you've done and you're just what does it look like for you to pursue your dreams, change the world and you know all of those kind of things. And for me, it was, it was, I remember I had a, I had a vision. I'm like, I want to get married. It was, I want to have a house. It was, I wanted to get an education. Um, you know, that's what greatness is. I wanted to make the perfect pancake because I love pancakes more than anything in this world. You want to know how I know if it's a great, if it's a great um, cafe that I go to? Is they do the pancake test. It's got to be fluffy. It's got to be golden. It can't be too airy. You know, nothing like that. It's got to be just thick like a cake covered in beautiful maple syrup slathered in it. That's how I know it's a good hanging. So first, and for me, that was always the, I'm like, if I can get the perfect pancake, it'd be amazing. Jensen's Cafe really has the best. I'd even say Butter 10. So those are two freebies for you. You should go check them out if you've never been there because it's awesome. But I love, there's, you know, you're looking and saying, well, what does greatness look like? You're pursuing, you're, 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 you're setting goals for yourself. You're looking at those things. And there's a couple stories in the Bible that I wanted to go to look at real quick. And the question I'll pose to us, what does greatness look like as a Christian? What does it mean to be great as a Christian? What does success look like as a Christian? Um, and, you know, when we think about that, I know my wife and I were talking recently about what does greatness look like as a Christian or what does greatness look like for our own kids? And Anya is my daughter and she is in a spot right now where she's trying to figure out school and education. And she says, uh, you know, she goes, I don't know. Maybe one of the things she's thinking about is, is she going to go on the TV broadcasting or something like that? Cause she loves to be on television. And, and Heidi goes, honey goes, that's what I wanted to do. Oh, if you do that. Cause Heidi, I had a dream to be a news broadcaster. So I think there's always, you still could do it, Heidi, you know, what's holding you back. Right. Um, but you want to be a newscaster and it's like, oh, and she goes, oh, and so sometimes you kind of live through your kids' dreams. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I put down, what did I want to be? I remember dreaming like, I love to be an actor. I want to be a talk show host. I want to own a restaurant. I was going to go on to, you know, be a advertising, you know, madman advertising dude and just go out and do my thing. And, and it's like, you know, you kind of envision Sometimes you look at your kids and wonder, and Ani has even said, I could go into acting, like she's very animated, of course. And we're just looking at all this stuff, and there's a story in the Bible um, that talks about what, um, about a mom's desire for greatness for her kids. 
And it's in Matthew chapter 20. And, it kind of, and it's about this mom and she's got her kids, James and John, and their brothers. And they are going through, um, they're following Jesus. They are the disciples of Jesus. And I think greatness for all of us would be letting your kids be as close to Jesus as they can, right? Letting your kids be as close to Jesus as they possibly could. And that's, of course, one of the big dreams for for all of us as parents, it's like, please just follow Jesus as close as you can. Because we parents, if you've lived long enough and you have young kids, I have teenagers, it's just the joy of our lives to see you follow Christ. Find your faith and follow Christ. And, um, and so this mom had her sons following Jesus and she goes to Jesus and says, hey, um, Jesus, I would love for my kids to sit at your right and at your left. I mean, can you get any closer to Jesus than the left and the right hand of God? And, and, and this would have been very similar to like, Kind of like getting your kids to, to, to go to Harvard and sit under like a really good professor because, you know, Jesus would have been this, this, this uh, rabbinical teacher of the day and, and to get your kids to be able to be under any rabbi would have been a big deal. And so to have Jesus even ask them. And so she, this would have been a big win. And, and Jesus, um, Jesus goes over and, he's, and, he, and he looks at them and says, you don't really know quite yet what this is all about um, to this mother and just begins to speak to her. And she, goes, she says, there's a lot going on here that you can't see. Um, and he begins to, because he's talking about this mom wanting greatness for her kids. And then Jesus responds and the disciples actually heard the mother and the kids and everybody talking. And they're just kind of like, who does she think she is to get her kids to be at the right hand. We should be, could be at the right hand of Jesus, the left and the right hand of Jesus too. And then, but so Jesus hears them kind of complaining about everyone is kind of trying to grapple for greatness. And he says in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus bands up calling all the disciples together, kind of has a team meeting and says, and says to them, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them with high officials. They exercise their authority over them. In, Gen in Matthew 20, verse 26, it suddenly says, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I think verse 27 is the key verse. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Greatness is found in serving. Serving is greatness. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the disciple has, a kingdom culture disciple has the heart of a servant. And greatness in the kingdom of God to do great things as a Christian, serving is going to be at the dead center of it. Even in Philippians, um, Paul gives us a definition of what this looks like. And it's, I'll read it from Philippians 2, um, verses 2, or excuse me, 1 through 7. I'm going to read the scripture. It says, therefore, if there's any encouragement from being with Christ, if there's comfort, if there's a common sharing in the spirit, if there's tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness, being found in appearance of a man, humbled himself, becoming obedient to death on the cross. I like those key phrases in there, and those key phrases are this, is do nothing out of selfish ambition, then it's do nothing from vain conceit, and lastly, it's in humility, value others. That's what a servant does. And it's interesting in the Philippians at this time, is because of this, is that Paul came to Philippi when he, when he first went to Philippi, which um, was in 49 um, AD, which was an urban center. And he went there because if you remember in Acts 16, there was a man that Paul saw vision, this man from uh, Macedonia. And he says, you've got to go to Europe. Paul's like, I think I want to go to Asia. And he goes, no, 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 Europe's wide open. You have to go to Europe if you're going to evangelize people. So he goes there, he goes to Philippi. When he gets there, this is the first city that gets the first church in Europe. In as he goes there, this city would have been a bustling city. It would have been a very well, you know, f- f- influential and financial community. And if you remember, um, so he's talking to there and there's, and they're using kind of, um, there's a slave girl there that's kind of fortune telling and there's a lot of idolatry and a lot of different gods. And Paul comes in to preach Christ and everyone's getting saved that the people grab them and they throw them in jail, Paul and Silas, because their, their businesses are beginning, the idol, the idol shops on the corner, you know, the, 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 the buy two, get one idol free shops are all going in. They're going out of business because everyone's worshiping Christ. And everyone's going to say, wait a second, we don't have anything left because everyone, all the idols are being trashed to the ground. No one's leaving. So that all the merchants on the street are getting mad. They throw them in jail and Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they begin to sing. And as they're singing and worshiping, all the chains come off. And all of a sudden, the, the, the prison doors go wide open. And all of a sudden, everyone, you're seeing the power of praise and worship in this. And everyone's wondering, what is it with Paul and Silas and Jesus in this city? This is even the same city where a woman named Lydia, who was a strong businesswoman, and she comes in and she ends up finding Christ. And not only does she find Christ, she's a woman who sells the color purple, which would have been a dyed fabric, which would have been a high high money item. She finds Christ and her whole family gets saved. Even the Philippian jailer who was watching Paul and Silas in the prison and all the, all the doors fly open, and he's, he gets converted as well as one of the guards there. And whole families are getting saved. I'm just here to tell you, by the way, whole families are getting saved in Philippi. If you're believing for your family to come to Christ and get saved, these are some great stories to believe that. If you're wondering and doubting, can God save my whole family? Yes. Can God redeem my whole family? Yes. Can God go in deep that if you became a Christian and you're in here and you were the only one following Jesus, God says, you know what? All it takes is one in the family and God tends to move and work through the whole family. Just to encourage you, don't, don't lose hope in that. Don't lose hope in those moments. So lastly, I'll talk about Philippi. It says this, is that in this city, it would have been very interesting. It would have been a very influential city because of this reason. It's because when they took over the city, when the Romans had it, it was basically a mini Rome. And under Roman law, there would have been, it would have been oversaw by a bunch of these, uh, by the proconsuls and the mil. It would have been run by ex-military people. It would have been a very bustling city. And why was it? Because they ended up giving the residents permission to buy property transfer property, to be able to buy, own, and transfer property, that they weren't slaves to the Romans anymore. They could actually buy and sell. They were entrepreneurs. They were businessmen and women. 
And in this became this thriving community. People were making money. House sales were going through the roof. Everyone was buying new cars. Everyone was buying boats. Everybody was going out and they were, the, the economy was bustling and thriving. And so when Paul walks on the scene, he's seeing this. He's saying, if there was one thing that was going on in the flipping community because of all of this, the idolatry sales were up. The housing sales were up. Everything was happening. Paul walks in and he begins to write to the Philippian church because the church was in the midst of all of this economic boom because of the military, the Romans, the Roman culture at the time, because of the idolatry. And he says, listen, he goes, what does he do? He says, first, do nothing from selfish ambition. I know there's a selfish ambition in all of you to make money and to do things and to grasp at things and to, and to get, to become, you know, compete with the Joneses and go after all these things. He attacks that and says, do nothing from selfish ambition. It's okay to have ambition, but ambition is not bad in of itself, but selfish ambition is where things go south. Because he saw the Philippian church, they were falling into, hey, I can make money, I can do these things, I can grow our, grow, um, you know, grow our finances, and of course for the church, to bless the church. And, and, but they kind of lost their focus on blessing the church, and they went into making money for themselves. And Paul says, you can't, don't do anything from selfish ambition. But what you need to do is be able to do it from an unselfish ambition. This is why he says, be like Christ and be a servant, and to serve. I remember I served at Applebee's when I was um, when I was younger in college. I was a server at Applebee's, and it was fun, and it was great because I had a captive audience for like sixty minutes at a table. It was really great, and I remember going there. I was like, "Hey, this is great." I mean, I remember a couple times. You know, I had a bet with all of the servers. I was just like, "Hey," I go, "What do you think?" They're like, "Alan, you should talk like British the whole night," and I'm like, "Absolutely, that'd be fantastic." All right, so here we go. So I'm coming in. I'm just hello, Downton Abbey. You know, you know what's going on? You know, Claire. I'm just trying to say these British words. And I'm talking, and the whole night, I spoke British the whole night. I was like, would you like some more water? That'd be fantastic. So I'm doing all these things, and, and everyone is going, and they were like, they're like, oh, are you from England? And I wasn't a Christian at the time, so of course I was, I was having a lot of fun with it. And I said, absolutely, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Westminster Abbey, you know, and having this whole thing. And they're just like, that's amazing. And it's like, I'm a phone exchange student. And I just did this whole persona. It was crazy. And so, um, you know, and then it's like, you know, I, it, so this whole thing went on. And then, but then after that, so I'm working at Applebee's, but then I encounter Christ. And then it became a whole moment of where, hey, you know what? I found other Christians and we were working at the Bible college. And I remember at the time I said, hey, I said, um, I told the busser, he was a Christian with me. I said, hey, you go in, you start praying over them. And then um, you start like being able to fill their water and be awesome. And I said, start feeling the pump for Christian conversation. And then I'm going to come in, I'm going to work this Christian conversation. So the busser would go and be like, hey, so, uh, you know, so if you were to die today, um, do you know if you'd burn in hell or do you go to heaven? Do you want some more water? And I'm like, Kind of wrong approach, dude. But anyways, you, you know, God bless you. You're figuring out. So we'd have all of these conversations and we were leading people to Christ at the table for a couple of instances, which is pretty cool. Talking to them about Jesus. So I love serving, but I remember the difference in, in serving that there were those that were in it they were striving. They were in it to make the money. They would go into the table. They were like, these people better tip me because if they don't, man, I'm going to just, you know, like they were just so angry. Like these people better tip me good. And whenever they didn't get tipped, they would feel frustrated. And they were just angry because they were in it for the money. They weren't in it to serve. 
And I remember just like, dude, you make the people the priority, man. If you go there and be on top of it, you're not in this. Don't be in it for the tip. I go, be in it to serve the people and you're going to get the great tip, dude. And so, and you could see it. There were those that were striving to make the money. And there was, and then, but I took the approach of like, I'm just going to love the people and do my best to give them a great experience. And I always walked away with great tips because I always chose to serve the people over trying to get the money. And it was very different. So it was, and that to me is the difference between striving and serving. Selfish ambition is, strive, ambition is striving. Unselfish ambition is serving. It's like serving God. You can strive for the next job opportunity. You can strive for the next promotion. You can strive for the raise or the house. Strive to raise great kids. Strive to have a good marriage. Strive for great grades at a great college. Strive for holiness and godliness. Or you can go ahead and serve in its place because success will not be the outcome you want in a situation, but your success will, success will always be your yes to God in a situation. You see the difference? When you choose to, 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 be, to serve, you're saying yes to God in those moments and those moments when you are serving and you say yes to God in the moment, that's when you begin to see the blessing of God. Your best plus God's bless equals your success. That's just what happens. And so selfish ambition can be nipped when you serve. The second thing Paul says is do nothing from vain, con vain conceit. Do nothing from vain conceit. And I looked up what that word was in, in the Greek. And vain conceit literally means popped up with a sense of your own importance. To think basically you're really great. To, to think that you're really great. Basically, you're awesome and you know it. You know what I'm saying? Everything is awesome, including me, right? That's what you think. And it's like this puffed up vain conceit, but it's really hollow on the inside. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or from a puffed up, empty pride. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to the store and you get those bags of chips and you're just like, ooh, look at this chips. And you kind of squeeze it and you're like, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to dig in. And you open it and there's like four chips in the bottom. And you're like, I got so deceived, Pringles. Not Pringles, those are different. You know, Lay's. You open up, you're like, there's four chips in here, dude. It's like, I was squeezed. It's that whole thing of it's this puffed up, you know, that's what vain conceit is. It's like on the, it's the appearance of being full. But when you really dig down into it, it's just hollow and shallow and empty on the inside. That's what Paul says. Don't do anything from a vain conceit or from selfish ambition. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to amount to anything. It's not going to accomplish anything. It's not going to be able to do it. How do you know if you're suffering from vain conceit? You don't care about getting the credit, but you do care about God getting the credit. That's, that's how it works. The third thing Paul says is, and then in humility, value others. So he's telling us two things not to do. And then the third thing in order to be able to have a servant's heart is be able to this is in humility to value others. Now it's interesting. Humility in the, by the Greeks were thought of as being... Um, in the, great, the ancient Greeks considered humility as a fault. It wasn't a virtue. They considered it to be something that um, it was the idea of being a man in Greek culture with self-assertiveness, imposing your will on others. That's because they sought model in Roman culture and in, in Greek, you know, the Greek Olympics. There was this whole thing of, of when, when you would go there, you would just conquer and you would just overcome and you would win and you would assert yourself. And so the idea of humility was just something that was hard for people to grasp. It was, a, it was a Christian ethical idea that they couldn't get their head around. And so when Paul says, in humility, you have to value others, it was something they, wouldn't put, they couldn't even put their head around. It'd be like telling an MMA fighter to cuddle a kitten for 15 minutes, right? You're just like, wait, what? I must crush your head. I'm done with this cat. You know, 
It, 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 humility to the Greek people at the time in the Romans would have been similar to um, a weightlifting champ doing an origami piece for, um, for a shower for someone. You know what I'm saying? It's like, look what I made. That's, that was the difficulty. There was no understanding of what it meant to be able to understand, well, what does humility mean? It doesn't even compute. So humility would have been a very big word for people back then. It would have been something they would have had to process. Humility, if you really want to look at what it means, it really talks, humility is kind of like bridled strength. It's, it can be defined as having, um, having, you know, like a horse has this steed and it's muscular and it's strong. And if you could get trampled by this horse and it could conquer you and crush you. And then, um, but it has, but in order to tame the horse, you put the reins on, you bridle that horse so that you can control the strength. Well, that's what humility is. It's a, it's a controlled strength. It's a bridled strength that you can be able to be used. Humility is not just being a doormat. It's not just thinking that you're not awesome and that you're just nothing. No, humility is a strong attribute. And to be, have a servant's heart, it's something that we have to cultivate and what we must do. C.S. Lewis defined humility by saying, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so if we can make that approach, then that's how it can work. Philippians, so when you look at that, we're saying, hey, having a servant's heart is important. Having a servant's heart is really important. And we're looking at the difference in this kingdom culture of being a believer versus a disciple. And believers experience, um, can experience salvation from Jesus and will experience salvation, but but disciples experience, believers experience what they get from Jesus at salvation. Disciples experience what they give for Jesus at serving. And that's the difference. A disciple goes beyond just, what can I get from my salvation experience? I'm at a better, I get my sins forgiven. I get God to bless me. I get, I get. A disciple now steps into the spot of saying, oh, now it's in, it's about what can I give on behalf of Jesus? That's why Matthew 23, 11 says, the greatest among you must be a servant. That Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to serve. So how do we do that? How do we do that as, as Christians in our church? And what can we look to? Um, a couple things. One, serve. So here are some areas that I'm going to ask you to serve in as you're get, thinking about this message this week. One, serve those closest to you. In two of Paul's letters, he gives instructions for households. And in them, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21. And that's what it is. When you submit to each other, when you submit to those closest to you, man, there's nothing more than, and better that you can do when you can serve people. Helping your brothers and sisters Guys, when if, you're, if you have brothers and sisters and you've got next, and they're in the, in the house, and the best thing you can do to serve mom and dad is to help your brothers and sisters. It's to do what's not expected. It's to be able to, um, you know, go in and it's like parents love it, teenagers, when you would just, when you do something without us having to ask you for it. And they're just like, oh, you did it without me asking. You knew you did your chores and just did it. Thank you. Like that's some of the best ways to show that Jesus is alive and working in you is when you serve those closest to you. And that's one of the blessings, husbands, when you serve your wives and you give to them and you're just like, I will do the dishes. I will, I will do this and I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. That's one of the best things you can do to bless your marriage. So serve those closest to you. That's really important. And you can do that. We already talked about that of how you can do that. Another thing is, is um, serve, serve those in church. That'd be another area to serve is serving those in church. I like what Ephesians says, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
Christ gave himself apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors to teach to equip the people for works of service. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 12. That's great. We love it. I mean, today was one of those days when you look around, you're like, oh man, I hope this goes. I'm so grateful for people that serve in a church. Thankful for Austin that, that comes back there and does the sound every single day. Thankful for Tim up in the sound booth who, who serves and makes it happen. Grateful for Miranda to rally the team. Wade Gelhar is hauling trailers at like, you know, at like six in the morning to try to get them here. Um, we have people, we have Todd who helps with the life groups. We have um, um, Kristen Lindstad who helps with the serving teams behind the scenes. Um, we've got Linda who helps with, ser- with sisterhood. We've got so many guys and, and girls that are serving behind the scenes and ministries that are doing stuff. And I'm just really grateful for all those people that are serving. Thank you for serving and making the church happen. And we, and we do need more people to serve. We need more people to help and to give and to give their talents and serve and serve and everything. You know, Pastor Rob would say there are three kinds of areas to serve. You can serve in the general sense, um, which is serving others generally and just and going in and, and serving where there's a need. Then you can serve in the gatherings, which is serving whenever there's big gatherings like weekend experiences, youth and kids, to go there and serve in those gathering expressions where you can use your gifts and, and talents to serve. And then lastly, there's the gifted areas to serve in. Use your gift set wherever you're gifted and to use. I mean, I've met with some, I've met with a couple of guys recently, uh, Randy and Brian and some of those guys and, and, and Andrew and some of those guys that are in here where I meet with them and I say, what's your gift set? Thank you. Them sitting down with me is serving to help make our church better. And so we're grateful for that. And, and that's why serving on a life team is one of the best things you can do at our church to make a difference is to serve on the life team. Um, it's so important to do that and to serve. I mean, we're going to two services and we're going to need people to serve. And, if, and especially when we go to two services with kids, we're asking everybody, if you have a kid, pick a Sunday to serve and at least one Sunday a month and just to put yourself in there to serve. If you, because we're going to need more help with ushers. We're going to need more help allowing you guys to come in and to serve and bless the people that are coming in, shaking a hand, being a blessing. That's important. Um, so serving in a local church is important. We definitely know that. Serving in the community is important. Obviously, serve those in the community. Serving your city is so big. We have the Serve Your City, which we talked about already that's happening. Um, serve the city. Go in. Let's bless Woodbury. Let's bless the local, our local communities. Let's go out and let's expand our serving from just the Woodbury community. Let's go into find areas in your city where we as a church can equip you and give you the resources you need to bless your community and serve there with you. We will help be a blessing. Um, we got National Night Out even coming out where we got some people in our, in our church are saying, hey, we want to do something like that. We want to help be a blessing in the community. That's great. Serve your community. And of course, um, not only do we serve those closest, serve the church, serve the community, but we want to be able to take a moment to serve those in other cultures. And that's why I love that Wade and Jen Gilhar serve in global projects. They're just such a gift to be a blessing. Um, we have a global project team that meets, that comes in, and they, we have a global project team that put, meets and comes in and puts together and gives us opportunities to go change the world cross-culturally. We ask all of our church to serve on a, on a global team in three years of being in attendance at River Valley. So how long have you been in attendance and have you been on a global trip? Because that's one of the best ways you can serve. If you give to Kingdom Builders, which is our building fund, you, your kids get to go on a missions trip for free. We pay for it because you've given to our building and you've given over the years while they grow. We send them on a trip. So be a part of Kingdom Builders. and Because we, we believe when you put kids and students, uh, young people in an experience where they can go cross-culturally and, and see the world from a different perspective and different lens, that, that, that changes their lives. I was changed on that. 
That's part of the reason why I became a pastor as I served on a global team, became a pastor when I, when I loved serving people and got to pastor people for the first time. So you never know what, what God will do. So serve in other cultures. Um, I know today this is a, um, it's one of, it's a young communicators weekend and I get the, uh, the opportunity to share with you. Um, but I thought it'd be cool to have a couple of young voices up here. So can you make some noise for Cole and make some noise for Talia as they come on up here? And we're just going to close with just a couple quick questions because I wanted you guys to experience, um, just to be able to share just some of the thoughts of what I've been thinking about of being able to... So, we should say, first of all, say your, um, go ahead and say your name, um, where you serve. Help me come in River Valley just so people can get a quick, quick thought, a quick picture of you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thought it was funny. You were talking about how you made a bet with your friends at Applebee's. Yeah. Yeah, I made a bet with my friends that you would do a British accent this sermon. Oh, yes. And- Hey, Every single go. time. Every, Every time. single time. I've, it's, it just comes out. I don't even understand it. It's amazing. But yeah, it's great. Of well, I'm Cole, and uh, I've been coming to River Valley for a year. And I, I actually, I think I started serving right when I came. And uh, I serve at youth, and then I'll do weekends. And it's, it's been awesome. I love it. Hi, my name is Talia. Um, I've been coming here for about a year and a half, and I help with uh, setup and teardown on Sundays and Wednesdays, and then I help in kids and youth. I love it. Okay, so I wanted to just get it. I know you guys serve behind the scenes so much, being part of, we have RVLI, River Valley interns, and so you'll see a lot of young people running around serving, and you guys have been serving here with, um, on our team the last, as I mentioned, like year one to two years, so grateful for it, and you guys even, I know, it's just great to have you guys here. So what does the heart of a servant look like? If you had to describe that, Holly, why don't you start? Like, what does the heart of a servant look like for you? As just inspire the people and are like, I love that young people are serving, you know, that kind of thing. What does it look like, the heart of a servant? Yeah, um, I, I ask myself, um, how do you, like, how do you want to be remembered when you die? And what came to mind is like, I want to be known as someone that loved God and loved others. And I think the best way to show someone you love them is to give them your time and, and your effort. And so having a heart of a servant means um, just making yourself available to people to show them that you actually care. And um, I think it'd be like um, making yourself available to do the will of God for the good of others. I think of sacrifice and um, I know everybody knows like the dying to themselves but when you see it uh, in action uh, I get the pleasure of growing up and seeing people who sacrifice for others uh, and I want to be like that person I want to I want to be around that person and so uh, it's a really beautiful picture of a Christian who dies to themselves and it's funny because it's proportionate for me I find the amount of sacrifice I do is directly proportioned to the amount of joy I get so I might it might be tough to do something but uh, if it's for the Lord I end up having more joy afterwards uh, which is kind of funky but I think that's a beautiful picture and it's true the Lord really changes my heart as I'm sacrificing I'm working at it that's great um, I know you guys are um, here early. You come early, you stay late. You guys are here um, 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m., and you're the last to leave um, while
while we are already finishing brunch and lunch, you guys are still here serving. And I just think that's really a noble thing. Um, and I just want to always highlight that for you guys and so many of the other team members that are here. But you guys stand out to me on that, even as young leaders. How do you stay motivated um, to come early, stay late, and yet keep the joy and keep yourself available? How do you stay motivated, Cole? Well, I want to be a Christian with a purpose. And um, a Christian who... Uh, is just staying flatlined and not uh, moving that bar closer. Uh, I don't want to be like that. I want to. I want to get to heaven, and I want the Lord to say, "Well done." Mm-hmm. And um, it, honestly, it, it it's a little selfish on my part because I find so much joy out of it because uh, I feel worthy. Uh, I feel I feel like I have worth when I'm pushing the bar closer, when I'm sacrificing uh, and helping others, which is weird because uh, I'm supposed to be helping them, but really it's it's helping me. And so they're filling me up. Yeah, that's good. How about you, Tyler? Um, so most of the time, uh, it's like... Um, Sundays and Wednesdays are like my favorite days because I really love being here and serving. But some days I wake up at 6 a.m. and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. And I have to like constantly remind myself like, um, serving is like, my favorite thing about serving is being around other people that love God and that you get to have community with. And so um, being here before church, like I've made, I've met so many people and I've made so many friends that I get to call like family now. And so the the phrase "welcome home" has a, a new meaning to me because, like, these are people that I can turn to and that I can like share things with. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I just came here um, right before church started and left, like left right after. And so one thing I'm gonna miss about when we have a building is those those like few hours before and after church that I get to like hang out with people that are really right. amazing. Right, exactly. That's good. Um, how would you? What would be in closing? What would be some advice that you would? What would be some inspiration to tell people if they're not serving to start serving in our church? Because there's a percentage of people that aren't serving for their own reasons. What would be your inspiration to them to start serving? At first, it was like it was really hard to put myself out there because I felt like I didn't have anything to give. Um, I didn't feel like um, I was like outgoing enough to helping kids, or like I felt like kids don't listen to me because I'm quiet and stuff. But um, when you serve, like it, God, it really He really changes your heart to be more like Him, and He He helps you um, discover like things that you don't know about yourself, like I. Um, like like gifts and talents, and he helps you develop those. So I think if you're like um, hesitating to serve, I would say just go for it. Like um, put yourself out there. Do like even if you just say I'm just gonna serve for a month and see what happens. Like um, I think that God will really change your life, just like He changed mine. Um, I I don't think I would be here if I like if I didn't serve, really. Wow, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I, starting out here, I actually had selfish intentions uh, joining the serve team because all my friends were here, so I wanted to uh, hang out with my friends. But as as time went on, um, 
a little backstory. Uh, probably about my first 17 years, I just would go to Sunday and Wednesday, uh, just like that 10 a.m. service. Uh, but I realized when you start serving and uh, when you do it consistently, you start meeting a ton of people. And then, like you said, family. It's kind of cliche to say, but like, I really, I've never been closer with people. I feel like this is what a body of Christ is. It's like uh, eating breakfast food you, and you only eat toast. Like going to Sunday for one service and not serving is like just eating toast. There's so much breakfast food uh, and you can have it all. It's just a whole new experience of what church is. It's a healthy church. It's a body. It's a family. And once you start doing it consistently, uh, you'll meet people that you'll want to be around all the time. Changed, changed my life. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I love it. Why have toast when you get pancakes? Can I mention I like pancakes yet? <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, I love it. Can you make some noise for these great young people? Oh my gosh, you guys are awesome. Cole, love you. Thank you guys. I'm just so proud of the next generation. I am just so grateful for the young people of our church and thank you guys for serving it. I hope you feel inspired. I hope today you feel inspired um, to serve and to see that greatness is gonna look different. I even love what Cole said. He was like, I came here to kind of have my friends. It's kind of, he's like, no, I discovered something, something different. Tally discovered a family. Cole discovered a meaning beyond this attending church. And so I'd like to everybody stand as we close. If you're on the prayer teams, you can head to the left and to the right. Um, as, if you need more prayer today, we want to be able to inspire you to go to the prayer teams and be encouraged. And, and, and as we close, just look at what it means to be a servant and be a servant. And let's give ourselves to that place of servanthood. If you are not serving anywhere in our church, just go ahead and send me an email, sign up online, send me a text, whatever's easiest for you to connect, but please start serving and let's build the church because we need you. We need to do that. That's part of what being a kingdom culture person is, is being able to serve and not only serving, but um, being able to reach people and bless a city and bless a community. Our building's a tool. And um, you're like, if, if the building's a tool, it's like you guys coming in and serving and making our church great, especially when we get there, we're gonna have a whole influx of people coming in that are gonna need you to shake their hand, love on their kids, um, bless them, and, and do that. So don't just eat toast. Don't be a toast eater, all right? So um, that being said, let me just pray. Jesus, thank you for the team. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our serving team. Thank you for everyone that gives and gives their time, talent, and treasure. And we're grateful, God, for what you're doing. We just pray a blessing on our church. Thank you that the kingdom heart, the, the greatness in the kingdom of God is having a servant's heart. So let's servanthood rise up. Thank you for serving. For people at church that wants to serve and giving us opportunity to serve, we pray a blessing on our church. Thank you, God, for our community. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you this week at River Valley. God bless.